Good morning. I'm Hannah. Would you please pray with me? God, may the goodness we have known in you order our steps today. May the grace we have known in you be in our hearts today. May the wisdom we have known in you be in our mouths and our meditations today. Help us to get through the day and to see that another one is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think most of you have heard by now, although some of you may not have, that last night over 50 people were murdered in the largest mass shooting ever in the United States of America at a gay club called Pulse in Orlando, Florida. And it looks like that shooting was motivated in part by discrimination and hatred that we all know and that we are all familiar with, as well as the violence that seems to continue to infect human communities um, no matter where we are and no matter how hard we try. We're supposed to be talking this month about evangelism, and we will. Um, about evangelism and this notion that can be hard for us to understand and to do, that as Christians, if we know God, one of the things we want to do is tell people about the God that we know. We're supposed to be talking about um, why that's hard, when that's not hard, why it's worth it, when it's not worth it, what it means to be with people uh, who disagree with us about who God is and what religion is and how we still see the God who made them in them. And all of that is a part of evangelism. But last night, over 50 people died. Last night, over 50 people died. And for me... A part of it is because of the terrible and the tragic and the painful and the death-dealing way Christians have defined evangelism over the years. We'll find out more about whoever the person was who did this in the days to come, and I'm sure that will lead to a whole new round of hatreds a whole new expression of discriminations. Um, but what I know in this moment is that that person was motivated by hatred towards LGBTQ people. And whatever hatred there is to be found of LGBTQ people in America, the church has helped to foster it. The church has helped to make it, and the church leaders have helped to craft it. And this, this is one of the worst things that the church has done. That we have looked at people who God made, that the leaders of the church, of various churches all throughout our country, some of us have gone to them, some of us have been victimized by them, some of us have been hurt by them, have said that a part of what following God means is to call whole groups of people unworthy in order to help them. And when we call whole groups of people unworthy, however loving we say ourselves to be, however kind we claim our actions to be, 
we contribute to a world like this one, where people can die and the person who killed them thinks that what they were doing was righteous. And there's a lot of reasons to evangelize. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons to share what God has done in our lives, and most of them are positive, happy, good ones. Um, that we feel like we're at a party and we want other folks to get involved, that we feel like we've felt love and good things and we want other people to feel those good things. But to me, the biggest reason, the biggest reason to share the good news about what you have found at Urban Village, about what you have found in a God who knows all, made all, and created LGBTQ people to be exactly who they are, is that we are not the only people telling a story about who God is that there are a lot of people who for a lot of years have been telling a very clear, very painful, very hateful, and very wrong story about who God is in the world and what God wants from us. And unless we are just as public and just as clear and just as passionate about the truth that God has made and invited everyone, their story of death will continue to be the story that most people know. And that is not an acceptable world. It's not a life-giving world. It's not a safe world. It's not God's world. And it's not the world that we want to live in. Our greatest acts of evangelism are in sharing good news. Not the fake good news that if you do what I say, you don't have to be afraid of fire, but the real good news that God made you, that you are extraordinary, and that we can try and build communities that act like that is true of everyone. We're not telling it because we're supposed to, We're not telling it because if we don't, we'll be punished. We're telling it because it has changed our lives and because the world is hurting. And the world needs a different story than the one that is being told. The world needs a different truth than the one that is being told. And whatever piece of that truth, of love and mercy and grace that you have experienced here, you know in your heart, Tell it to somebody, because there are people who are desperate for it. I keep thinking this Sunday morning, um, not just about how we might have created a different culture, a different story, a different reality for people like this shooter who are filled with hatred, but I keep thinking about um, the gay and lesbian and bisexual and trans people this morning who pray to God, who believe in a God, and who have nowhere to go to hold their pain in this hour because they have yet to find a community that will receive them. The people who want to be worshiping, the people who want to be singing, the people who want to be praying to find hope in a time that feels hopeless, to find joy in a time of tragedy, and there's no urban village in their town. There's no inclusive community in their city. They don't know yet that there are people 
just like them, that there are others just like them who believe that love in the end is the order of God's day, even in the moments when it doesn't feel like it. Evangelism is a life or death business. It is a life or death business, not because we're afraid of punishment, but because of the death we see being dealt out every day and the ways in which knowing and praying and loving differently could put life into that death world that we so often experience. That's why I tell the good news. That's the good news that I know. That's the God that I've met. And I hope that you've met that kind of God, too. We feel so powerless um, in moments like this, in moments of uh, evil and exclusion and pain. And I can feel just as powerless when I read scriptures that seem to confirm that that's how the world is supposed to be. This scripture that we read today, right, is like not one of my top five. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not one that I go to to feel good at night. It's not one that I read in the morning to remind me of God's presence. It's one that I want to ignore because it doesn't sound like the God that I know. It doesn't sound like the God that I've met. It doesn't sound like the God who made you and you and you and tied you up with a bow and put you in this world, created you with God's breath and God's vision. It just doesn't sound like that God that I know to me. And so I sit with it, right? Um, this is what I do when, when the Bible bothers me, <laughs> as it does sometimes, right? This is normal. Um, I sit with it, and I first, I try and figure out, um, like, what about me might need to change, right? Because I'm not perfect. Plenty of times the Bible makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm being a jerk and need to change. <laughs> the Bible is teaching me that. So I sit with it, um, and I see where I might need to learn from the passage, and and the first thing I think of with this, with this story of a king who invites a bunch of people to a wedding feast, right? Invites a bunch of people to his wedding, and they uh, refuse to go, and they kill the people he sent to tell them about it. So then he kills all of them. So then he invites anyone to the party, but then they show up to the party on five minutes' notice, and one of them is wearing the wrong thing. And so then he tells them they're cast out into the outer darkness with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. I read that story, right, full of violence and retribution and stuff that I don't understand. Um, and the, my, the first thing I feel like I might need to learn from it is that, yeah, God is full of stuff you don't understand. God is a mysterious and wild God. The world is a mysterious and wild world. And maybe your first response to this scripture doesn't need to be to make it make perfect sense. Because God often doesn't make perfect sense. That's the place where I find it changing me. Um, but then I'll be honest, it still bothers me quite a bit. <laughs> it, still doesn't fit, it still doesn't fit in with the God that I know. And so then I ask, um, of any scripture that makes me feel that way, uh, have I ever felt like this was the truth? Are there any moments in my life, sad ones, angry ones, ones that I'd like to keep secret, ones that I'd like not to admit, where this scripture really would have made me feel like, yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it works. 
And if I'm going to be completely honest, this moment is one of those moments. I look at a scripture that talks about anger and retribution and people being punished for not getting on board. And I think about the violence that happened last night, and I think about the violence that happens all the time, and I find in my heart a piece of my heart that wants to believe that justice and reckoning will come for hatred and destruction. That there is punishment for bad behavior. That people will be held accountable for the way that they've hurt me and the way that they've hurt you and the way that they've hurt our world. I can find that in myself. I can find moments where I've wished that that was true. <laughs> but then I remember um, that that's probably why I'm not in charge, <laughs> that I'm not God, I'm a creation, that I haven't been given the responsibility to figure out who's who, what's what, who's right, who's wrong, and what the eternal consequences of that will be. And I start to find that instead of being frustrating, um, instead of it being a mystery I have to solve, a puzzle I have to put together, I start to find it liberating. Right? That I'm, I'm not in charge of figuring out every element of who God is. And I remember the times when I have felt the most like that, right? The most like I want to control what happens, when it happens, the times when I most want to predict what comes next. And what all of those times in my life have in common is that they were times when I was incredibly afraid. I don't know about you, but when I'm afraid, uh, I turn into a really controlling, awful jerk. <laughs> it's just what I do. I'm afraid of heights. Uh, when I'm with my family on top of a mountain, am I like, oh, guys, like, I'm afraid of heights. I'll sit on the, I'll sit on the bench. Like, you go do your thing. No. I'm like, get away from there. <laughs> what are you, nuts? Don't go near the ledge, right? I know that I'm safe, but these risky uh, people are trying to go to the, like, I, you know, I, I, so I feel the need to control them. I feel the need to predict what's going to happen because I'm scared. The most scared I've ever been, I have a 13-month-old right over there, the most scared I've ever been was the first month of her life. She was so small, and she was so fragile. And my partner can attest uh, that I have never been meaner or crueler to him <laughs> than in that first month of her life. Um, I was telling him how to do everything. I was telling him when to do everything. I was getting mad at people who picked her up because what if they dropped her? I was scared, and so I was controlling. I was scared, and so I tried to say what would come next. And then, remembering that it is out of fear that I have felt that desire to predict, it is out of fear that I have felt that desire to control and to punish, that's when all of a sudden this scary, scary scripture opens up for me because I remember who Jesus is talking to. Here in this, Jesus isn't talking to just any crowd. Jesus isn't talking to just any person. Jesus is telling a parable, a story. Right? Parable is just this like, fancy seminary word for story. Um, he's telling a story. I don't know why people use it. Um, he's telling the third story in a row to a really specific group of people who are the religious leaders who are trying to control and run everybody's lives. He's telling the third in a series of three stories to the religious leaders who have said, most of you are out, just a couple of you are in, and the ones who are in, I get to decide. 
He's at the temple in Jerusalem, a place that had been um, and was most often a place of spiritual love and hope and ritual and practice for the people of his community. But some of these leaders, right, who wanted to tell people who was in and who was out, who wanted to tell people who was okay and who was not okay, who wanted to tell people that they were in charge and they could predict and they could control, had started to take over. And so Jesus occupied the temple. (laughs) He sat there and would not be moved. And he told a couple of stories. And this is one of them. This story of a king who is angry, of a king who cannot hear no, of a king who fills the banquet hall not because he wants to feed people, but because he wants the hall to look full. And I wonder, our tradition has often held that the king in this story is God, right? That God is the one who invites, and God is the one who punishes, and God is the one who decides. But there's really no reason to think that, except that Kings are fancy, and we think God is fancy, so probably the character in the story who's God is the king, right? Literally the only reason why we would assume that the character in the story who is God is the king um, is because we're used to thinking of power that way. But one of the big things Jesus does is upend every single way that we think about power, is upend every single way that we think about love and stories, and so maybe this king isn't God? Maybe this king is us. Maybe this king is the religious authorities, and maybe this story is a warning from Jesus that being so scared that the only way you can respond is to be violent to those who say no to you, is to crush those who show up dressed differently from how you thought they would be, that that is the greatest danger that the kingdom of heaven faces our impulse to decide on our own who's with God and who isn't, our impulse to separate and reject over being lovingly surprised by all that God has done and by all who are invited to the banquet. That sounds more like the God that I have met in my life. That sounds more like the God I have known in my experience, one who is mysterious, one who is in charge of things I do not and will not ever understand, but one who is not driven to rage by rejection, but who offers second chances. One who does not throw banquets as tests, but as feasts of joy so that we might enjoy the party. This, I think, is a warning, but it's not a warning about saying no. It's a warning about how we invite others and how we think of them when we do it. Because if the only reason you are inviting someone to God's party is because you're afraid that if you don't, your teeth will gnash, or you're afraid that if they don't, they will be killed, that is not how God operates. (laughs) Living out of fear is never what God has asked us to do. God has declared to us that God's perfect love casts out fear. And God's perfect love can be a motivator and an inspiration and an engine for us in every moment of our lives, even the most challenging, confusing, mysterious, and difficult. God is not the king here. 
God's some guy on the street who sees the king afraid and controlling and says, that is not how it has to be. Too often that has been the witness of the Christian faith in the world, that our job is to decide who's in and who's out, that our job is to kill those who do not attend our table in the way we had expected. But thank God, that is not our job. Our job is to be honest about the places in our life that God has made new and whole and loving and graceful. Our job is to be honest about the fact that God has done that for everyone, that God has made everyone, and the temptations to hatred are the worst temptations you will ever experience. Our job is to put into the world a new story that all are called and all are invited so that the stories of death that are out there no longer hold sway over this world. We are called by a God who is wild, by a God who is mysterious, but a God who is most of all love. When we are at the party, when we are dancing with the lights on, and when the music stops and tragedy happens, In all of these things, we are met by a God of wild love, and we can continue in that wild love to change the world so that it might feel more like a party, more like a gift, more like joy for every single one of us. Let's go forward in that conviction. Amen.